0: I'll tell you what real quick, I may have already told you this, I may not have. While I'm talking and starting out here, you can kinda of, you can turn to Isaiah forty and you can turn to number six if you want a couple of places that we'll be that we'll look at specifically. Um Isaiah 40 and then number six. The reason I show that video is because that's actually one of my favorite songs is The Little Drummer Boy. Um when I was a kid, it was mainly my, song, my favorite song because you guys remember the movie? How many of you remember that movie that came out? I think it actually came out in the late 60s, but I was born in the 70s, so I grew up watching that every year. How many of you grew up watching the Little Drummer Boy movie? Remember the stop animation, you know, and the little, the little boy, and he's, he's so cute, and that's probably why I loved the movie so much, because he was so cute and adorable, and it was a fun movie to watch. But as I got older, and particularly when I got saved at 19, uh, the meaning... Of that song. And, and my love for it kind of changed. And mainly because of the meaning. And if I were to narrow down the meaning of that song. What that song was about in one word. It would be worship. I don't know if you could sense that just from hearing it. Especially the way they performed it. But even in the lyrics. I don't know if you've ever thought about the lyrics. I never could get past until I got older. You know. Come they told me. And then pum pum pum, And then after that I'm just lost. But the words. Everything about that song. Points to worship, and since worshiping God and the, his Son who he sent to the earth, the king of glory, is the real reason for this season, I think it would be good to talk about worship and then also, because some of you may have been here a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Owen came. And it was one of the most powerful services that we actually have had, definitely in this, in this building, but maybe even one of the top, you know, three or four uh, since Soma has existed. And, and God just really came and moved and show himself, showed himself mighty and, and spoke some things to some individuals that there's no way that Pastor Owen could have known that. The Lord used him to give words of knowledge and things prophetic, and it was very, very good. It wasn't weird, but it was good. You guys know what I'm talking about? Very, very good. And one of the things he spoke over our church was a spirit of worship a spirit of worship, and I don't have time to go into all that he was saying there, but you can go back and listen to the podcast and get the gist of what he was saying. So because of what the season's about and because of something that was recently spoke over, spoken over our church, I want to talk about um, worship. And uh, I have to warn you, though, worship is one of my, as some of you know, one of my favorite topics to talk on, and I can go on and on and on. You guys are like, oh, Lord, not one of those. Well, I've given myself some notes to try to keep me on task. So, um, and one of the first things I wrote down is that, and I want you to write this down, is that worship is an invitation. Worship is invita- an invitation. If you're taking notes, write that down. If you've got your I notes or whatever it is, if you're taking mental notes, if you're taking pictures, this, this is my good side. <laughs> no, anyway. But worship is an invitation. It's an invitation because He is the one that created worship. God is the one who invented worship. And he is the one who invites. You guys hear what I'm saying? And he is the host. So he's the one who invites. He's the host. And he is the <clears throat> guest of honor. He's the king. And he invites us to to be a part of his kingdom. But to be a part of his realm. To walk through his halls. I mean if you're going to be decking some halls. Those are the halls you need to deck. Right? The, the halls of, of the Lord. It's his, and he invites us in and that invitation may look different at different times when we worship. Sometimes he may just be inviting you to come and, and maybe see something, experience something that he's done or been a part of or is a way he's moving. Or maybe he's inviting you to come and just honor him in some specific way. And sometimes the Lord is, is inviting us just to come and sit at his feet and enjoy his presence. Amen. Some of you know that George Bush. Bush George Bush was the, the guest of honor, if you will, at the MJBI banquet um, that was held in, back in November. And the way they advertised that banquet, MJBI is the Messianic Jewish Bible Institute. It's a ministry that, that raises up leaders within the Jewish community that has been saved, Messianic Jews, um, and, and um, equips them to go out and reach other Jews for Christ. And anyway, we support that ministry and they have a banquet every year to raise money. And George W. Bush was the guy that we were kind of all centered around. When they, when, they, um, when they sent out the invitations, it said a night with the president. And it was really cool. I mean, to me, I was like, man, a night with the president. That sounds like that's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be um, something that I would enjoy. Would enjoy. And I, I tell you, there was, I don't know how many of us actually went. Some of you may have uh, been there, may not have been there. But it was it was an honor to be there. It truly was an honor. It was one I, I was sitting there thinking, this is probably one of the funnest things I've ever been a part of. It was awesome. It was really cool. But here's the deal. When we were... When we realized that we were going to get to go, <clears throat> uh, we were given this uh, this kind of protocol, if you will, of what needed to take place and the things that you need to do in order to come. And one of the things, f- just for the general public, everybody that was going to be there, everybody had to wear black. It was a black tie affair. If you were going to come, you had to wear black. So everybody there, I mean, get this picture. Everybody there was dressed in black. So it all, I mean, it looked like a thousand ninja assassins surrounding <laughs> George Bush. And I'm like what part of this is right, you know, but that was part of the protocol. Some people were invited as special privilege to go and actually meet him, shake his hands and take a picture of him. My wife and I got to be a part of that. Some of the, some of our staff and elders got to be a part of that. And if you were a part of that, you had a different protocol. Okay. You had to, first of all, you had to submit your, um, your social security number ahead of time. I mean like weeks in advance, I think it's obvious why, so they can check, make sure you're not a ninja assassin coming in, you know, that was one of the things. Um, and then you had to bring your ID to the event. Uh, you had to be there on time, actually a little bit early. The ones who got to take pictures were a part of a little procession or some sort of reception, procession, recession. I don't know, they we were part of something. And we got to eat a little bit before we met with him. And, and there were several other things that we had to kind of adhere to. But one of the things I remember being told is when you, when you come up to him, when you get into his presence or when you walk to and it was just George W., but still, there's protocol. Um, then when you come before him, wait until he extends his hand to you before you extend your hand to him. I thought, man, that's, that's probably a, a, a good idea. And so there are several, several different things about that. But that's because there are, there are things that you have to be aware of when you're in the presence of the Lord. There's a protocol. When you come into the courts of the king, there is a protocol. And um, I just remember that. It was good. One of the things I thought about is that was a specific thing that was centered around him. And when we're invited into the courts of the Lord, into worshiping the Lord, something that we forget is that it's his party. You know what I mean? I enjoy the thing with George W. It was like a big party. And when we come before the courts of the Lord, the courts of the real king, the true king, Jesus, it's like a big party. But we have to remember that it's his party. When, when my boys were little, especially my, bo- my boys, it not as much like this. But when my boys were little, when we, would go to, um, when we would go to someone's birthday party. And if we've ever done this at your birthday party, I'm so sorry. But we would go to a birthday party and whoever the guest of honor was, the birthday kid, when it came to time to blow out the candles and open the gifts, it was a little rough. Because my boys always thought it was their party. Okay, so the kids right there before the and okay, everybody one two three, and my kids like, Phew. you know, it's like ah, don't do. Oh, sorry, you know, and you want to take them out and beat them, you know. And so then they light the candles again, you know, and my kid, you know, and does it does again. It's like oh my lord, I really, I literally have to take. Aiden was the worst about that. He always thought it was his party. No offense. And then the same thing when it came time to open the presents. You know, the guest of honor is opening their first gift. And you hear this other crinkling kind of in stereo somewhere else. And you look over and it's opening their presents or, or cannon or rowing. And, and it's one of those things. And they just didn't understand that this party wasn't about them. It wasn't their party. They weren't the ones being honored. And we can be like that, can't we? When it comes to worship, we can forget that we're not the ones being honored. That we're not the ones um, that this is centered around. It's not like President Bush got an invitation in the mail. A night with Tony Herring. You know, that's not the way it went. And the song says, Come, they told me, a newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring, to lay before the king. So to honor him when we come. Do you see that? So when it happens, worship happens when we accept God's invitation to come and to honor him or to experience him or to. That's what I'm talking about, you know, to whistle before him, whatever it takes (laughs) to just give him. You know, two turtle doves, whatever it is. <laughs> and a partridge and a pear tree. I never understood that. And enjoy God, that invitation. And when we come, whether it's to whether there's a major agenda or just the agenda of loving on him, we come and we lay before him our faith and we lay before him our gratitude and we lay before him our praises and our confessions and we lay before him the commitments of our hearts and all of those things. In fact, I'll I'll say this and you can write this down. Our worship is an obedient response. Actually, our worship is a an obedient response to his invitation. I hope you're writing these things down because this is a great thought to go into the New Year's with. If you're in the market for a resolution, by the end of this, I hope you have at least one. Our worship is an obedient response to God's invitation. In, in Psalm 95, and a lot of us are, are familiar with this, it says, come, let us worship, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Did you notice it said, let us worship let us kneel as in it's the only appropriate response to a God who has revealed himself to us and established a relationship with us through his grace through his power and through the work of his son Jesus Christ the only reasonable response is to come and to worship him to to kneel to to worship that's that's the in fact Romans twelve one and 2 what does it say Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, I beseech you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is a reasonable, it says, some of your verses a reasonable act of service or worship. Offering all that we are and all that we have is the most reasonable way to respond to a Lord, to the Lord who has revealed his mercy. That's the reasonable thing to do. Amen? By the way, the Lord's not after props. I don't know if you knew that. You guys know what I mean by props? Accolades. He, that's not his agenda. That's not, he's not looking for that. He's pretty in tune with how great he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's pretty secure with it. But what he is looking for is a strengthening of that relationship between he and us. And he's done everything that he can do. He's, he's done all that he can do. Right? He's done everything. So when we come to worship him. When we come, what we're saying is, I also value that relationship. I also value that relationship that you have established. When we come, we are lit- when, we, when we say yes to the invitation, we are saying, I value you. I value what you've done and I value the relationship that you've made possible. Now listen, worship isn't just about when we come. People come before the Lord all the time, right? People come to the church. They come to worship. They come and they do their thing. So it's not just about when we come. It's also equally as much about how we come. Isn't that true? You can look in the Psalms and see that. Let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Joy. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. You guys remember that old song? I was glad when they said to me. You guys remember that song? I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. And listen to me real carefully, because this is when it's going to go a little bit more. The only way that you will be glad to come before the Lord in worship, the only way. I want you to write this down. The only way that you will be glad to come before the Lord to worship is if you are prepared. That's the second thing I want you to write down. Worship takes preparation. Worship takes preparation. Remember what I said about how we had to come to the the banquet? We had to come prepared. had to wear black. I had to have my stuff. had to have all that stuff. I had to bring that and show that. Extend my hand at the right time. Had to think about those things. It also makes me think about. uh, And I use this example a lot. Because it's one of my favorite movies. But it's also a great depiction of this. Um, Is that movie The Last Samurai. How many of you guys seen that? With Tom Cruise. It's a great movie. But you remember the scene where Algren, which is Tom Cruise's character, and the interpreter, who whatever his name was, they're coming before the emperor and the interpreter's trying to tell him this is Algren's first time. He's like, you gotta do this and you gotta do this. And when you get there, bow down. If he bows down, you bow lower. And then when you leave, you need to go out and then turn. You know, there's this whole rigmarole of what you gotta do. But remember, it's because the courts of a king command a protocol. You have to come prepared knowing what Life is like in the courts of a king. And you see that all over the Bible. God's people have got to be prepared when they come to worship him. Remember what I said. I'm hoping that people will grab a New Year's resolution. Maybe think about the Lord, maybe think about your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with the church. Maybe think about how to, how to engage in, in, in that intimate worship relationship with the Lord. I hope that's, that's something that stirs in your heart. You know, Exodus 19, this is one of the scriptures I always use to talk about that preparedness. This is when the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud. Now, that's going to be a good church service. You know what I mean? I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so that the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And then in verse 10 it says, Then the Lord told Moses, Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. And then it goes on to give this list of things that they needed to do. This list of um, protocol, basically. And that's just one example in the Old Testament. Another one is in Malachi 3, which actually points ahead to something I'll show you in the New Testament. But it says in Malachi 3, he's he's prophesying. He says, look, I am sending my messenger. And he's talking about John the Baptist who would come and prepare the way of the Lord. And he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking, I love that, the Lord you are seeking, because that's hopefully what we're doing when we come to the Lord. The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come into his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Now he's talking about... A different messenger. This is Jesus before I'm sending my messenger, John the Baptist, the messenger of the covenant, Jesus. He says, whom you look for so eagerly. Now keep those two things in mind as we move forward. The Lord you are seeking, the Lord you are looking for so eagerly. And it says that he will surely come, says the Lord Almighty. And then the book of Mark opens with this. Here begins the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. In the book of the prophets, Isaiah, which is chapter 40, we're going to look at in a second. God said, look, I am sending my messenger before you and he will prepare your way. This is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. And I could say a lot about that, but let me just say this. A lot of times our worship experience is a little bit of a letdown. You guys ever felt that? Just be honest. Sometimes your worship experience is a little bit of a letdown. But let me tell you, if there's any kind of a letdown and any idea of that, it's because somehow we did not prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Now, that happens on a corporate level sometimes within the leadership. That, That can happen. But A lot of times it's just, where were we? How prepared were we? There's good stuff going on all around if you weren't feeling it. If you weren't getting it, how prepared were you? You hear what I'm saying? That is a true reality. In fact, let's look at Isaiah 40. I want to kind of show you this progression. Isaiah 40, you can turn there. You should already be there. (coughs) We'll start in verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. You know what? Actually, I'm I'm going to read this version. Listen, I hear the voice of someone shouting, Make a highway for the Lord through the wilderness. By the way, that's where we're at. Right? Aren't we in the wilderness? Are we in the promised land yet? No. Then we are in the wilderness. And it's rough. And it's rocky. And the heat gets turned up. And it's difficult. Amen? How many of you know you're in the wilderness? Okay, just just be clear. It goes on to say, Make a straight, smooth road through the desert for our God. Verse 4. Fill the valleys... Fill the valleys. That's joy and suffering. We got we to get there, right? Joy and suffering. Fill the valleys or be filled even when difficult times are there. Joy and suffering. And level the hills. In other words, faith to move mountains, right? Isn't that what that means? Level the hills. The hills melt, melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can... Move mountains, level the hills, straighten out the curves. I look at that and I think about, I think about this and that just gives me a picture of wavering. You know, Jesus talks about wavering and wondering, in the wind. Paul talks about that a little bit. To me, that's saying straighten out the curves or in other words, establish a foundation of faithfulness. No matter what's going on, you're here, you're there, you are faithful. And then it says smooth, smooth off, <laughs> it says smooth off the rough spots and to me that's talking about overcoming sin through the power of the cross of christ so you hear that smooth off the rough spots overcome sin and then in verse five it says then the glory of the lord will be revealed or then he will make himself seen he will make himself known and it says and all the people will see it together and you can't tell me when all the people see it together there's not going to be a shindig breakout. That they're not going to be worshiping. And so you kind of can see this progression there. It's like God invites. And you can write this down if you want. God invites. We prepare. He reveals. And we respond. Isn't that true? God invites. And we prepare ourselves to come. And we come. And then he reveals And what he reveals, we respond to that. And again, he reveals different things at different times. And so the response sometimes can even be different. But he reveals and we respond. Isn't that true? That's worship. That's worship. Now, you have to prepare. Preparing is huge. Preparing is important. And when it comes to preparing, and you know, I've been a worship leader. I've been a pastor, a youth pastor. Uh, I've been a part of all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to preparing, here's a couple of things that, that I try to kind of focus on when it comes, two points of preparedness, if you want to write it that way. Two points of preparedness for me. And, and I use Psalm 24. Um, who, who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And it goes on to say other things. But I always think about um, my heart in my hands, my heart, in my hands. And here's what I feel like the Lord says about preparing my heart for worship. By the way, our hearts always lead the way, don't they? Our hearts will lead the way. And when it comes to my heart, here's two questions that I try to ask myself and try to stay on top of. Am I willing, and am I harboring? Am I willing, and am I harboring? And what I mean by that, am I willing, <laughs> Was I glad when they said to me, let's go to church? (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about? It's time to go to church. Oh, I can think of about 50 things I'd rather do. And for whatever reason, why was I not glad when they said, am I willing? Is there a willingness in my heart to go? And when I say church, I mean this corporate, but I mean even to my secret place. Am I willing? Do I want to go there? If not, why? You have to answer that question. Why do I not want to go there? And there could be, again, multiple reasons. But you got to find out why. Because if you're not willing, you won't go. Isn't that true? And let's say you do go. There's something else that you have to ask. Am I harboring? Am I harboring what? Am I harboring anger? Am I harboring hurt? Am I harboring offense? Am I harboring bitterness and I'm going to say something that might sting but I feel like it's a word for someone and I'll say it a couple of times in case it's for you and you want to write it down you can't expect the spirit of God to move in a mighty way in your life when you are a walking root of bitterness let me say it again just in case it's for you you cannot expect God to move in a mighty way God's always moving in spite of us because he's gracious. But you can't expect him to move in a mighty way if you are literally a walking root of bitterness. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, you get that picture of the tree and the roots. And or was it Lord of the Rings or was it the other one? Narnia, whatever. Both of them, I think, do that. You got these, you know, well, that's you. My bitterness is just all over the place. You can't expect God to show himself powerful and mighty in your life when you got that. It just doesn't work that way. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit moves when there's unity. And he goes on to say, through the bond of peace. You've got to work that stuff out. You can't let it linger and grow and fester. You've got to work, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because when there's unity, the Spirit comes in a mighty way. Second chapter of Acts, the upper room is a great example of that. Jesus even talked about in Matthew 5. He says, all right, so... It tells a story. So if you're standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, in other words, you're going to worship, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, which by the way, if you suddenly remember something like that, you can only assume that who is talking to you. Who is talking to you if you all of a sudden convicted about Something that's going on. Who's talking? The Holy Spirit. And if you're not sure if it's the Holy Spirit, go talk to somebody who might help you find out if it's the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is, sometimes the enemy's whispering stuff too. But if it lines up with this word, or you're not sure if it lines up with the word, go ask somebody. But if the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, (laughs) then you might want to stop and say, whoa, what's going on? He said, if you remember all of a sudden that someone has something against you, or maybe you realize you have something against someone... The idea is that there's this divide when it comes to unity. Leave your sacrifice there before the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, obviously, there's times where we're here and I can't be like, oh, I got to go. I'll be right back and you can't go to Timbuktu to make reconciliation with so-and-so. But right there in that moment, you can respond to that revelation and say, Lord, please forgive me for this that I've been harboring. Or this offense that I recall that I did or this whatever the animosity, the anger, the hurt, the offense, the bitterness, whatever it is and deal with it right then and there and then move on. Amen? Am I willing? Am I harboring? How many times have I left a worship time with the saints and I've been, man, what was that? That wasn't very exciting. (laughs) I mean, Right? Jeez, was the Lord even in that service? You guys ever had that kind of complaint or that kind of thought? Am I the only one, people? Come on, wake up. We all are weird. And yet, I make that comment, and yet I have a handful of hurts and a barrel full of bitterness that I am hanging on to in my own heart. Right? That's absurd. And you know what? It's not fair it's not a fair judgment of the corporate ga- gathering that just happened and instead of laying those burdens at the feet of jesus what i've actually done is i've piled a few more bricks on my back and i've made it worse you hear what i'm saying this is serious stuff and this is great things to move into the new year with like you know what i don't want to i don't want to do that i don't want to be that tree that's walking around you know i want to be able to connect with the lord so a preparedness in my heart, and then I always think about my hands. Of course, Scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. And I always try to apply this to who I am and what I do personally, and who I am and what I do corporately. I think those are the two best places to look at, at that. Who I am and what I do personally, and who I am and what I do Corporately, And the the truth is, and I think you'll agree with me when I say this. The truth is, is there's absolutely nothing that I could lay at the feet of Jesus that could match his worthiness. Am I the only one that understands that? There's nothing I could do, nothing I could be, nothing I could lay at the feet that would match how grand and majestic and glorious and worthy that he is. But, (laughs) but God has put something in my hand. He's put something in your hand, right? Is that true? He's put something in your hand. You remember Moses? Lord, I don't think I can do that. What if Pharaoh don't listen to me? Right? You know what I'm talking about? What if the people remembered that I killed somebody? I just don't know. And God's like, Moses, what's that in your hand? It's a staff. And we know, we know the rest, right? God did miraculous things through a man who felt he was unworthy, but used what was in his hand. God's put something in your hand. Something that you can offer back to him one way, one way or the other. And if I have faith to believe that he can take that something and use it for his glory, I will give it. You hear what I'm saying? I will give it. Without fear of not having enough for myself. Amen. <laughs> Little baby, I am a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give a king. But what do I? What do I have? Right? What do I have? What have I been working on that I can offer up? What do? I have shall I play for you on my drum I can do that what's God put in your hand and listen if you're ever unsure about what to offer or how to offer I want you to use this as your standard And you can write this down if you're ever unsure what do I what do I need to do here what do I need to give what do I need to bring what do I need to do how do I offer what do I offer use this as your standard I worship God by giving him my first and by giving him my best. It's a great New Year's resolution, isn't it? I worship God always by giving him my first. I'm not the most talented man in the world. I don't have a whole lot, you see. But I give him my first and I give him my best Mary nodded. The ox and lamb kept time. Whatever that means. <laughs> I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. Amen. And Statistically, 80 percent of people who show up to church play. Eighty percent who show up to church play, but they don't play their best. They don't play their best when it comes to their time. They don't play their best when it comes to their giftings, their talents. They don't, they don't play their best when it comes to their treasure. You know, their finances, their money, their resources, they don't, they don't play their best. And what's funny is that you hear this, especially as pastors who meet with pastors and friends with pastors. That same 80% gets upset when they don't feel like their expectations were met in worship. <laughs> Yikes. Y'all with me? And here's why. And this is my last point. Worship raises expectation. Worship raises expectation. When you come to worship the king of the universe that you have seen do amazing things over and over and over again in scripture, Old Testament all the way through the New Testament and pointing ahead to revelations and there's going to be some great stuff going on there, you can't help but expect there's going to be, expect some sort of incredible something happening in the church service. Is that true or is that not true? That's God. That's what I want to see. Worship raises expectations, doesn't it? Does it not? That's not a bad thing. Can you guys give me some examples of that? What are some things that we should expect, could expect, do expect in a church service, a worship service, or when we come before the Lord? Somebody raise your hand and tell me what. It's okay. Brian. That he would change our attitudes. Souls Souls to be saved. That's a good one. What else? <coughs> yeah, that people will be healed. That's a good one. That's a real good one. We need that. Brent. Deliverance. That people will be delivered. That they will be made whole. That they would be set free. That know the truth and they would be set free. Yes, Anna. Yeah, they that they would... F- Do what? Yeah, that they would find Jesus in whatever circumstance they are in. That they would find Jesus in the midst of that. What else? Christina? They would find peace. They would find forgiveness. Keep going. What else do we expect? Knowledge. knowledge. They would learn something because knowledge helps, <laughs> obviously. Ken? And that they would find conviction. That they would find repentance. They would be challenged. What else? Anything? Now, we all probably come from different backgrounds, maybe different denominational backgrounds, or different whatever, and so maybe our expectations look different. But bottom line, we have these expectations that God should be, that God should do, or that we should see, or that we should experience when it comes to worship. And we should Long for those things, you guys. We should pray that those things would happen when we come together, that we would see and we would experience those things. But listen to me carefully. When those things become the centerpiece, our main goal or our primary expectation, we're in danger of missing the one thing we really hope is happening in worship. Then he smiled at me, me and my drum. Then he smiled at me, me and my drum. You guys, I want to see an an environment that's charged with excitement. I want to see people lifting their hands to the Lord in worship. I want to see people dancing and, and just becoming unadulterated before the Lord uninhibited you know undignified the way David said it I want to see people experience healing in services I want to see people set free and delivered in services I want to see all kinds of stuff and it's the same kind of stuff that you guys want to see I want to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation for the equipping and the building up of the body I want to see that in worship and I believe God wants to see that right I mean, you turn to Ephesians 4, it says, well, he just wants to see all that kind of stuff. You turn to Corinthians, it's like, really? All of that? But I believe that his first desire is to delight in us. His first desire is to delight in us, Psalm 147, 11. It says, rather the Lord's delight or his pleasure, what pleases him, is in those who honor him. So to honor him when we come, to honor him. And it goes on to say, those who put their hope in his unfailing love, nothing else. My hope is in that. In Numbers chapter 6, of course you're there and you can read along if you want. It says, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace and it goes on. And this is actually called an Aaronic blessing. It's the blessing that Aaron would would pray or or, or um, bless over the people. I pray this over my um, kids almost every night. In fact, <laughs> I just thought about this. The other night, Emma Kate, I was praying and, and she kind of stopped me and she said, Oh, what was it? Hold on, hold on. What, what is it? Um, what's a ponder? What, baby? Ponder? What's a ponder? I mean, I don't know. Then I was like, oh, Lord bless him, Kate, and keep her and make your face to shine upon her. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I started laughing, remember? What are y'all laughing about in there? Nothing. I was like "Uh." so you pray upon her over your over your children the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace the idea of this scripture is the Lord smiling over his people because of great delight because of great pleasure When I leave a time of worship, there's one question that I should ask, really, at the end of the day. And that question is not, did someone get healed today? Did someone speak in tongues today? Did someone swing on a chandelier today? Did people raise their hands today? Did someone dance today? Was there a prophetic word given today? Now, we want those things to happen, don't we? Please, Lord. We want those things to happen. We Right? We are in agreement that that's what we want happening here. Because we know that the Bible says that's what God wants. But the question we have to ask ourselves when we leave is not, how how good did Tony preach? Because most of us know the answer to that. How good was the music? How good did Brittany do in the children's ministry? I mean, think of all the, que- the all those questions. And we want those things. We want good preaching music. We want all that. But the question that we have to ask ourselves when we leave a time of worship is, Was God pleased with me? Was he pleased with me? You know what? Hebrews 11 says that it's impossible to please God without what? What? Faith. Faith that God is real and worthy to worship pleases him. Faith that God... Is worth my very best? Faith that God will bless me when I give my first and best faith? I mean, we can go all day long on faith. In fact, in prayer with our staff and our elders, we really sense that that word faith is a word for next year, for the new year. That God's going to build our faith. He's going to increase our faith. He's going to show himself faithful. We really believe that. And we've had different ways that that's been confirmed. Confirmed. That God's speaking about our faith in this next year. Was the Lord pleased? I came, but did I come prepared? Did I take the time to consider I'm coming before the King of glory? Not only did I come, I gave my best. In every realm that I, I was able, I gave my best. And At the end of that service, no matter what's going on, If all those other requirements were met, or all of them weren't, where was I at? Is the Lord pleased with me? Amen? Would you guys stand with me?